Thanks for listening to the Thyroid Fixer podcast with your host, me, Dr. Amy Horneman, aka The Thyroid Fixer. Also, functional medicine practitioner, hormone and weight loss expert. We're talking all things thyroid, hormone, and health-related in order to empower, educate, and transform you. Remember, I fix your thyroid, I fix your hormones, I fix your life. So let's get started. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about cold thermogenesis and the, the exposure of your body to cold environments, whether it was uh, an ice bath, Wim Hof, cold shower, any kind of even cryotherapy, which I wasn't really a fan of. I mentioned that I had tried it to really no avail, but in doing ice plunges, cold baths, cold showers, that is that type of cold exposure. I noticed a change in my body and how I felt in the metabolism and fat burning of my body and definitely in the brain function. So I spoke about that a couple of weeks ago as well, that it actually does have an effect on your brain and really kind of lighting up your brain for the day. So if you have an important event, or even if you are struggling with the inability to lose weight, which is big time hindering people's weight loss across the board, whether you like it or not, I've said multiple times, you can stick your head in the sand and pretend like it's not happening, but it's happening. And it will absolutely hold your body back from shedding that excess weight. But these are things that you can do to try to overcome that. And even in Joe Mercola's kind of, what do you want to call it? The ridding your body of the damn vaccine protocol. He even mentions doing hot yoga and infrared saunas, that detoxifying heat stress that can improve your body's detoxification pathways and help it get rid of those things that might be hindering your metabolism or your endocrine system or even your detox system. And in doing so, there's going to be extra benefits as well. So we talked about the cold thermogenesis and its effect on brown adipose tissue and metabolism. And today we're going to talk a little bit about heat stress and what that looks like in terms of your metabolism, your biochemistry and, and what the effect is. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. Now, when we're looking at actual articles on the effects of heat thermal stress or cold exposure, sauna bathing, hyperthermia, we're looking at temperatures that are around 80 to 100 Celsius. 
So they're pretty intense. I want to say it's around 160, 170 Fahrenheit, which if you're in an infrared sauna, you can easily get that temperature up to that level because you're in there for a very short amount of time. However, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, but I don't have a sauna. I don't have access to a sauna. I don't live in a town that has one of those restore places that I can go and use their infrared sauna. That is okay because we're still seeing that same kind of activation and body change with things like hot yoga that might only be 80, 90, 100, 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Because of that deep internal heating, that infrared heat that, and I've been made fun of before for describing it this way because it's so non-scientific, but it's like it it's heating you from the inside out. So that it's not like when you're walking outside and it's 85 degrees, which I personally despise. Anyone that's been listening to me for a while knows I hate the heat. If you put me outside in 85, I will bitch. I will be miserable. I will have resting bitch face on. You better pull me into some AC real soon. My feet swell, my hands swell. I'm just miserable. However, if you put me in hot yoga, it's completely different at temperatures even above 80, 85. And really, quite frankly, I don't like to be outside above 70. So when you put me in hot yoga, it's a different type of heat. It literally feels like that heat is coming inside of you, warming all of your muscles, warming you internally, and then pushing out the sweat. So it's tolerable heat. It's therapeutic heat. Perhaps there's a mindset shift too when I go into hot yoga where I'm knowing that it's going to be hot. I know that I'm going to sweat and that puts my mind in a different place as opposed to being ready to go somewhere and you walk outside and you sweat all your makeup off and your clothes are sticking to you. That could be playing a role, but I'm also going to argue that it's not because of the different type of heat that you feel when you're doing something like infrared or hot yoga or a sauna, or whatever kind of heat stress that you are kind of putting on yourself, so to speak, or that you're volunteering to go do. So I want to get into some of the actual research and the effects on the body. So this one we're seeing, and this is from the Acta Physiologica. Okay, so this is out of, this is a Scandinavian journal. And this is the endocrine effects of repeated sauna bathing. So they took 10 healthy male and seven female volunteers. They exposed them to a dry sauna. So like the old school saunas that you would go into at your gym. Remember that you pour the water on the coals and that's the dry sauna. So exposure to dry heat, 80 degrees Celsius, which again, that's going to be, uh, what is it? Roughly double, right? Like 150-ish degrees Fahrenheit twice a day for seven days. So the levels of ACTH and plasma, so we're checking the adrenal function, pituitary function, cortisol, TSH, thyroid hormones, testosterone, gonadotropins, prolactin, and growth hormone in blood and urinary excretion were taken before the experiment on the first day, third day, and seventh day. During the experiments, there was no statistically significant changes in thyroid hormone, TSH, testosterone, FSH, or LH levels. So we didn't notice in just seven days any kind of major changes, good or bad, with those particular hormones. Cortisol, however, decreased. So we see this effect on 
stress. So for those of you who are running rampant, burning the candle at both ends, high cortisol, high glucose, high stress states, this is physiologically lowering your cortisol and plasma ACTH decreased. We also see that serum growth hormone increased. So that rise in growth hormone in response to the hyperthermia, so heat, not hypo, that's cold, that's that's bad. Well, bad if you're exposed too long and you lose a toe, but hyperthermia is the heat stress. So that rise in growth hormone in response to the heat stress, it declined after day three, but we saw the effect of the body and on the whole endocrine system at day seven and after. So some pretty big impacts on the endocrine system. There's another study that shows the hyperthermia therapy inducing the browning of white fat, and we're using it for the treatment of obesity. So just like we talked about in the cold thermogenesis podcast talk on here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how cold exposure, very similar to T2, very similar to thyroid fixer and T2, it's actually stimulating brown adipose tissue, which brown adipose tissue is your metabolism. Brown adipose tissue is what we want in our body. And we find brown adipose tissue kind of speckled throughout the thoracic cavity, but we also find it in other parts of the body because it is for survival. It is for protection against cold and heat. So brown adipose tissue will increase our metabolism. And that's what actually is causing that that shivering effect when you're exposed to cold and how your body actually starts to shake. A lot of that is that stimulation of brown adipose tissue. So what we want is we want, even though it's very difficult to turn white fat completely into brown fat, we can get what is called beijing of white fat. So when you're when you're doing something like heat stress, hyperthermia, you're actually inducing a little bit of that browning beijing of the white fat. The white fat is that visceral fat that surrounds our organs that causes disease. That's where we have that ex white fat is excess body fat. White fat is the fat that you want to get rid of, the fat that you grab, the fat that you're like, I want to get rid of this love handle. That is white fat. White fat is also the the obesity fat. So when you see people with a large amount of body fat on them, that is a large amount of white fat. That is not brown fat. And if those people actually did stimulate their fat, their white fat to induce the browning of it, we would actually see them losing weight with no other change whatsoever to any other parameter in their life. And what does that mean? Dare I say that they could sit on their ass and literally do nothing and not change their diet, but they could do heat exposure and cold exposure and lose weight? Yes. Unfortunately, that is the truth, although you don't really want to say it out loud because that does not give you, people listening to me, that does not give you the right to sit on your ass and do nothing and just do cold exposure or heat exposure. However, you can bring in cold exposure and heat exposure, heat stress in order to enhance all the things that you are doing, like the lifestyle changes, like the dietary changes, like lifting heavy shit, like optimizing your thyroid and hormones. This is one more tool in the toolbox. It is not a tool to replace the other tools in the toolbox. It is to 
play nicely with the other tools in the toolbox so that you can use it all together to improve your overall health and improve your outcomes. So we know with the beijing of fat, beige fat actually stimulates your metabolism. Brown fat stimulates your metabolism and brown fat has a ton of mitochondria in it. So when we are browning white fat, thermogenesis occurs. So you literally get a little bit of a boost in your metabolism when you are doing local hypothermia to brown that white fat. And it's funny because years, even before I looked into the studies, for years and years, I have said that doing hot yoga does something to the metabolism. I, I honestly feel and have felt this forever, which is why I try to get in a hot yoga session at least once a week, once every other week, not just for my overall feel of my muscles, but also for my metabolism and my detox pathways. I have said forever that doing hot yoga does something to the metabolism. And it's not just yoga. It is doing the hot yoga. It is that intense sweat that you get. It's that deep heating of your muscles, of your tissues from the inside out, regardless of how non-scientific that is or not, whether you like it or not, it's that feeling of getting heated up from the inside out that does something to your metabolism. And now we can see it actually in studies. We can see the proof of its effect on your metabolism. So every time I start doing hot yoga, I always lose weight because it is increasing my metabolism. And we can see why. Because that exposure, that that hyperthermia is actually stimulating thermogenesis, stimulating heat in the body, not just from being hot, but you're actually stimulating your metabolism, true burning of fat, thermogenesis, in order to brown that white fat and turn it into brown fat or beige it up a little bit. Another study shows endocrine effects of repeated hot thermal stress and cold water immersion in young adult men. This showed that repeated use of sauna induces a significant decrease in cortisol, but does not cause changes in testosterone, DHEA, or prolactin levels. Testosterone concentrations were higher in men before and after the sauna bath. So this is showing a positive effect on your cortisol levels, no negative effect on testosterone, DHEA, or prolactin, but a possible increase of testosterone in men after the sauna, after that heat exposure. And we can go on and on. I mean, there's there's one that I didn't even open. This is, let's see, growth hormone response to different consecutive stress stimuli. So the cold stress, heat stress, and its effect on growth hormone, we already see that that has an increase. Endocrine effects of repeated sauna bathing. We have sauna bathing is associated with reduced cardiovascular mortality and improves risk prediction in men and women. So you can go on and on and on and on about the different effects that heat exposure, whatever you want to call it, hot yoga, infrared sauna, heat exposure, heat stress has on the body. Now there are these heat shock proteins are called HSPs. And what we see with heat shock proteins is those will increase during heat exposure 
And that will also kind of unrelated, but kind of related to the browning of white fat, these heat shock proteins will also produce and have a thermogenic effect on the body and literally increase metabolism. And that goes back to, again, why I feel that doing something like hot yoga has a direct effect on the metabolism. Now, the other benefit that you get with heat that you really don't get with cold is the sweating that sweating aspect. So that's going to tie back to your liver processing and really just your whole body detoxifying itself. So we get that that really nice detox reaction, that heavy duty sweating when we are exposed to heat. So whether you're out in 80 degree weather and miserable like I am sweating when you don't want to sweat or whether you actually choose to go into a sauna or do hot yoga and expose yourself to that intense heat, that sweat that occurs is very, very detoxifying. Anytime that you can sweat it out, right? So whether it's a nice, intense exercise session, and by the way, side note, now they have these crazy places where you can exercise in the heat. Like it's one thing to do hot yoga and do some down dogs and some some, I don't even know, what is it, you know, warrior twos and be kind of like, woo, am I going down or what? It's a total another thing to do spin class in, in a hot studio, but they have it. I saw it. I saw it in Pittsburgh. I've heard about it. Haven't done it yet. Anyways. So yeah, if you really want to be sadistic, go ahead and go to one of those places and do your, your weight training and your hit training and your, don't do too much cardio, but if you want to try out a a spin class in a hot room to see if you die or don't die, by all means, go ahead. But doing that intense exercise, whether it's in a regular environment or in a heated up environment, or doing things like hot yoga or sauna is going to make you sweat. Like I said earlier, part of Joe Mercola's protocol of getting the damn VAX out of you is to sweat your ass off. So what happens when we sweat? We are eliminating garbage. It's when it's the skin is our major detox pathway. So not only do we have to be loving on our liver and making sure that that's processing everything properly, we have to be able to sweat because there are people that have issues with sweating and we can really tie that back to issues in their detox pathways. You know, something is clogged up that their body does not want to properly detox. I did hot yoga this morning. If I went in and got my my yoga top and, and my Lululemon pants, I wear the old ones because they get destroyed, right? If I were to bring those in there, in here, it would be like you took the clothes, dipped them in water and took them out. That is how much I sweat in hot yoga. It's, it's not just a light cardio sweat. It's not just the armpit and under boob sweat. It is a full, the clothes are drenched every inch of them it's like you put them in water and took them out again. So that is some really, and really even an hour and a half, two hours later, I am still different. I feel different. I feel more red. I feel more hot to the touch. I feel refreshed, but I feel like things are still heated up inside and burning, so to speak. If, if there is a way to actually feel your metabolism, I currently feel my metabolism. It's a totally different feel than post-exercise, completely different field from post-cold exposure. This type of 75 minutes of heat exposure and intense sweating 
does do something internally. And I don't have a study to match up with my anecdotal evidence, but it does something internally to literally rev your engine and rev your metabolism. Now, as I look down at the other mechanisms, we can see that there are circadian rhythm benefits to changing up your body temperature and cold and heat exposure. That's going to help with sleep. It's going to reset your circadian rhythm. That in turn obviously has an effect on your growth hormone. When we are getting good sleep, when our circadian rhythm is working properly, then we obviously have a higher metabolism. We have better insulin and glucose control. We also know that resetting your circadian rhythm can improve your mood and your hormone status because when, again, when we're not sleeping, think of shift workers who have an all kinds of effed up circadian rhythm. They are sleeping during the day when our bodies are meant to be up. They are working at night between 10 and 2, which is the restorative time for your bodies to rest and repair. That goes for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you choose to shift work or not shift work your circadian rhythm will be way off because you should be sleeping between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. for rest and repair. So resetting, doing things like cold and heat exposure can actually help reset the circadian rhythm. This is beneficial when you travel. And even if you're changing time zones, sometimes resetting that circadian rhythm, resetting your sleep pattern can be off. So if you have the luxury of traveling and then doing something like a cold plunge or a hot yoga session, do it because it is going to have an effect on your sleep. You're also going to get deeper sleep when you employ this. One study showed that it was as, as little as it was 11 minutes of cold exposure per week. And I want to say maybe a total combined 20 minutes or a half an hour of the heat exposure, the heat stress, people who alternated that, and it didn't have to be back to back. You didn't have to do the hot yoga followed by, or the infrared sauna followed by a cold plunge. It can be separated. 11 minutes of that cold therapy can be broken up. So it might be literally, you know, two minutes a day for six days. And that's what you work up to. You might start at the 30 second mark, like we talked about last time. You might be building up to a minute. You might be building up to two minutes time. You might even make it to three minutes time. So that 11 minutes can be spread out. Obviously the 20 to 30 minutes of the heat stress can also be spread out. But one study showed that 11 minute exposure to cold, 20 minute, 30 minute, whatever the time was exposure to heat significantly impacted number one, your metabolism. So we're going back to that the browning of the white fat, we're increasing our thermogenesis, resetting circadian rhythm, and a huge, huge, like really impactful push of growth hormone. Now, I mentioned one study that showed the growth hormone effect earlier, but this particular study with the heat and the cold combined in the course of a week, and it's not that long. It's really not that, like I said, when you total that up two minutes a day of the cold, and you could get in the 20, 30 minutes of the, the heat stress, by popping in a sauna one time or by doing one hot yoga class. So that alone significantly increased our growth hormone, increased participants' growth hormone. And our growth hormone decreases after the age of 30. Everybody's does. You don't get out of that decline, just like you don't get out of menopause. You don't get a pass on your hormones taking a nosedive as you age. There are things that we can do to improve that, to prevent it, to reverse it, to replace the hormones that are going downhill, but you don't get out of it. Aging is 
for everybody. It's just how you age and what you choose to do about it that's up to you. With growth hormone, we know that it starts to decline after the age of 30. So we can do things like lift heavy shit because after a hard workout, when you're actually lifting heavy and you're not sitting on a Peloton, you experience an increase in testosterone and growth hormone, whether you're male or female. Now we know, let's add on top of that, and growth hormone is the anti-aging hormone, by the way. If you don't know what growth hormone is and you've never read Suzanne Summers' book from like, what is it, 2005, she talks all about growth hormone. That's the first time that the world went, oh my God, growth hormone. What is this? This is fantastic. And growth hormone clinics and hormone clinics sort of popping up everywhere because everybody wanted to go get their GH. If you don't know what growth hormone is, it is your anti-aging hormone. It repairs muscle. It preserves muscle. It helps your skin. It helps prevent wrinkles. It is the anti-aging hormone. Used and abused, yeah, you can have some issues. You can actually cause insulin resistance. You can cause acromegalia. That's why we look at bodybuilders who have used and abused it. Sometimes they have these weird growths on their you know, foreheads that are out to here and their bellies are sticking out and it's just a bizarre kind of look. You can remain in the normal category of anti-agers, biohackers, and improve your growth hormone other ways, such as heat exposure, cold exposure, Tonkat Ali, that absolutely helps to increase your growth hormone. That's why I have that in Hormone Fixer. I talk about that all the time. And then doing things like even some peptides, GHRPs, the ipamorelin, CJC-1295, those are all growth hormone stimulators, whether they actually stimulate your pituitary to produce more growth hormone, or they are growth hormone releasing peptides, there's growth hormone stimulating peptides. That's another podcast, another talk for another day. Do things that will increase your growth hormone naturally. Yeah, you can absolutely add in the peptides, but at the same time, I would want you to be doing the lifting of heavy shit and the cold exposure and the heat exposure. And now you're just stacking your biohacking, you're stacking your anti-aging protocols on top of each other for absolute maximum anti-aging performance, health, longevity benefits. And you really kind of can't go wrong. Let's see, what else do we want? There's something called, we want to talk about hormesis. Hormesis is your, your body's adjustment to stress response. So we hear a lot about hormesis when we're talking about intermittent fasting. So when we are doing long, long, long-term fasts, which I really don't recommend for most people, but when we're doing very, very long-term fast, dietary restriction, even exercise, that is an, an example of hormesis where it's an adaptive response of the cells and the organism to that intermittent short-term, intermittent fasting, short-term stress. And what we'll get is that increase in growth hormone. We'll get that autophagy, which is clearing out of zombie cells, clearing out dead cells, literally like I always say, picture a Pac-Man, right? Like you got a little Pac-Man in your body and it's just going along and it's eating the bad shit in there. That is autophagy, essentially. It's spring cleaning of your cells. So when you induce hormesis or a short-term stressor, like heat stress, you are also going to get that clearing out of dead cells and improved aging and improved longevity. So again, we're seeing all these different tiebacks to heat stress being a benefit. It kind of comes down to one of those 
no brainers. Like, why don't we just do it? Why do we battle it? Why don't we just do it? I don't know. Like I said, I try and get into hot yoga at least once a week, once every other week. But do I hit it on the head all the time? No. Have there been months and months where I have not done any kind of cold exposure or any kind of heat stress? Yes. But this is why we're talking about it. Because even when I hear myself talk about the different studies and the benefits, it gives me a little bit of a kick in the ass to say, you know what, I need to get more more consistent with these things because it's one thing to take all the supplements in the world. And it's one thing to, okay, I meditate in the morning for 10 minutes because that has an effect on my cortisol and effect on my stress response. I take my medication, my thyroid medication. I take my hormone replacement therapy, but what else can I be doing? I mean, besides choosing the right foods to put in my mouth, besides lifting heavy shit, what else can I be doing for the benefit of my health long-term and short-term. So for the benefit of my, my, my metabolism, for the benefit of my endocrine system, for the benefit of my adrenals and my stress response and my cortisol and my growth hormone and my testosterone, this is just a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. So I'm challenging all of you to find a way to do some heat stress exposure. It doesn't have to be a 75 minute hot yoga class. It can be something as simple as popping into an infrared sauna. If you have access to one, doing one of those, I think there's a place called Restore where they have red light therapy and infrared and cold exposure and a salt room or whatever else they have. So if you're in a major city, you may have access to that. Or if you're traveling, go ahead and look that up. And then if you are in a major city that has one of those crazy places that do spin in a hot room, go ahead and try that out and let me know how it goes. Let's see, downsides, obviously, you want to stay hydrated. You want to make sure that you're taking in enough salt. A lot of people will take in like coconut water or electrolytes or LMNT. So they're, you know, keeping their electrolytes going as they're sweating. That's really important. I do notice like if anyone has any kind of psoriasis or eczema, sometimes that can flare up when you're doing hot yoga because it really is. I mean, I come out, my face is like pink for a while. So it does have kind of an inflammatory effect of the skin, but that usually goes down. And again, if you can do cold exposure following or even just splashing water, you know, nice cold water on your face, stick your stick your face in some ice and some water that then it, you know, stops that inflammation, and it calms everything down. So even if you are kind of prone to flares, you can calm it down afterwards with the cold exposure. Another idea. So if you're in a town that does not have anything like this, and you don't really plan on dropping a couple grand on a sauna, they have, there are infrared panels. So right, I think it was when COVID started and my hot yoga shut down. Thank God I bought one of these. It's just a big infrared panel, an infrared heat panel. Now I only bought one panel. It's probably about like the size of me, you know, probably about four or five feet. Um, and then I put it in the downstairs smaller bathroom that has just enough space for a yoga mat. So I put it in the corner, shut the door, turn that on, turn the heater on above me, like in the bathroom. 
And I just let it go for an hour and I can easily, I've even bought a little thermometer or whatever, you know, like a digital temperature thing and stuck it in there and I'll watch that. And sometimes I'll turn the shower on to get the moisture. So I have the wet heat with the, the infrared heat and I've done hot yoga in my bathroom before. And you get that same like similar deep simulation, that deep heat. I mean, going to a class is way, way better, but I made it work during COVID. So if you are in a location that does not have hot, a hot yoga studio, does not have a restore place, you don't want to buy a sauna, you can absolutely kind of create your own environment, kind of create your own infrared space by just buying one of those panels. And I want to say that panel was like, $2.99, $3.99, something like that. It wasn't horrible by any means. Hopefully this training inspires you to add some things in that might help boost your metabolism as you're on this health betterment slash weight loss slash energy production, increasing growth hormone, increasing testosterone, improving your whole body journey. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you loved it. And as always, if you would be so kind to leave a review, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, that would be absolutely amazing. I read all of them. Also, anything that you hear on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition. So we always recommend that you check with your medical provider, your doctor, your nurse practitioner before implementing anything that you hear on this podcast. And if you want to find out more about working together, you can click the link below in the show notes to book a discovery call. And there you'll be talking to a member of my team. They are an extension of me. They are amazing. And you and I will talk after that once we get you all signed up and you and I get to work together. All right. I hope to see you soon.